You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In the lead up to the NFL draft, we didn't talk a lot about Justin Fields as a prospect because we didn't think the Chicago Bears would really have a shot at him. But now that he is here, and yes, that actually did happen. The Bears did actually draft their franchise quarterback. Now it's time for us to dive deep. This is Locked On Bears, also known as Locked On Justin Fields, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnBears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook or join the Locked On Bears Facebook group. On the show today, we'll really start to get to know Justin Fields and we'll rely on some help from our friends on the Locked On Podcast Network, namely Jay Stevens, the host of Locked On Buckeyes. He covers Ohio State very closely, and he's going to join us for a two-part interview both today and tomorrow, really going deep on Justin Fields' time at Ohio State. Today we're going to focus a little bit more on what we saw from Fields on the field in terms of what the Ohio State offense asked him to do, what games he was at his best and where he really shined, and also a little bit of where he struggled and what he needs to work on moving forward to the next level in the NFL. Then on tomorrow's podcast, we'll focus a little bit more on that transition in particular, what the Bears will need to do to support him and how they should handle that in Chicago and what we can kind of expect for that developmental curve for Justin Fields. That coming on part two of this interview with Jay Stevens tomorrow. But before we really get locked on Justin Fields, we need to circle back to the Chicago Bears offensive line because the team formally released left tackle Charles Leno. And on yesterday's podcast, we talked about the day two and day three rookies. Specifically, the offensive lineman was the focus with Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum and how they fit into this Bears offensive line. And we went through some of the potential combinations and we touched briefly on, hey, it's possible the Bears could release Charles Leno and save some salary cap space. And, you know, we went into briefly some of the potential outcomes from that. But I didn't think they'd pull the trigger like that so quickly. I was really surprised that they made this the plan from the very start, that once they got their tackle, it was, all right, that's going to be it for Charles Leno. And it makes sense financially. I believe the Bears save $5 million on the salary cap right now. They could designate it as a post-June 1st release, but I think having made it official on Monday, I don't think... That's how it will ultimately play out. And so it's around that $5 million in savings, which frees up the money they need to sign their rookies to their rookie contracts. So that that aspect makes sense. And I certainly understand Bears fans' frustration with Charles Leno over the years, that he hasn't been a top-five offensive tackle. He hasn't been really, over the course of his career, a consistently a top-ten offensive tackle. But he's been... A solid starter. He hasn't missed a start, I don't think, since he took over in, like, what was that, 
2015. I think Jermon Bushrod was the left tackle before him. And how easily we forget the turnstile and the carousel of left tackles that the Chicago Bears had before Charles Leno. That's a separate argument in terms of framing there with Leno. But he was fine. You know, he wasn't great, but he wasn't as terrible as... I think a lot of Bears fans made him out to be. He certainly had ups and downs along the way, and you can point to moments where he was terrible. And you can point to moments where he locked down that left side. And that's part of the problem with offensive linemen, right? It's a lot of narrative-based discussion because if it's a player that you keep hearing his name and you keep seeing him show up on TV and on the broadcast, that's because he's doing a bad job. And then when he's doing a good job, you don't hear his name because he's just kind of holding down his side and he's not really... a positive you know you don't see him like make a great pass protection block doesn't really get the kind of recognition as opposed to maybe a a dominant run block but even then you mostly hear about offensive linemen when they're bad and so you hear about Charles Leno when he makes his mistakes and you don't so much notice when he has good games and strings together good games where you don't hear him for much of chunks of the season and for games and I think the the pro football focus line on this was pretty spot on with how this Bears offensive line worked this season where I think the first nine weeks of the season he was one of the worst starting tackles and in the last seven games of the season he was a top 10 offensive tackle in terms of production when you finally put Cody Whitehair next to him and gave him a solid left guard to just give him some reliability somebody he knows he can count on there so he doesn't have to try and overcompensate he can just kind of do his thing he's played fine when he's had Whitehair there and Josh Sitton in the past when they support Charles Leno He's a fine offensive tackle. And so when I look at this Bears offensive line, and this was kind of my point on yesterday's podcast, I just want my five best linemen on the field. And I feel like in terms of talent on your roster right now, Charles Leno is, or I guess now was, one of your five best linemen. Because presumably now Tevin Jenkins slots in as your starting left tackle, which is going to be a transition for him. And it's not a guarantee that he's just going to pick up right there at left tackle in a brand new position that he didn't really do in college. There's a transition there that can be difficult for rookies to adjust to. So that is a concern. Not that he's going to be a bust at left tackle, but it just could be slower picking up there as he would have been at right tackle. And now you're putting Jermaine Effetti at right tackle because he's clearly... If you follow the money, he's clearly the tackle they paid the most over Elijah Wilkinson, who can be more of a swing tackle or guard. And then maybe Larry Borum can compete in there somewhere, but it's probably Daniels, Mustafer, and Cody Whitehair in on the interior. And I don't love having Jermaine Effetti as my starting right tackle and my planned starting right tackle. I'm fine with him. If as an injury fill-in or, you know, you have a competition and, and have some different options there, but I was much more comfortable with my starting tackles being Leno and Jenkins as opposed to then Jenkins on the left side and Effetti on the right side. And I don't feel like the Bears upgraded when you go from Leno Massey to Jenkins as a rookie and Effetti as your left and right tackle. Down the line, Jenkins will certainly be an upgrade, and he may very well be an upgrade very soon, but Effetti is clearly a, an inferior offensive lineman to either Charles Leno and Bobby Massey and it's hard to see that offsetting in a positive way for the Bears offensive line even though you do save significant salary cap and that's ultimately what this is a little bit more about but we really want to see the Bears improve the offensive line and I don't know that week one 2021 this offensive line is going to be better than it finished last season had they been fully healthy and full strength in terms of talent on the roster mainly it's banking on improvement from all of your young guys up front and you don't always get improvement 
from year to year, every single year for every single young player. So a lot of pressure on offensive line coach Juan Castillo. But fortunately, we're looking for some real improvement at quarterback, and we are excited about having Justin Fields on the field at some point this season, even if it's not week one. And we're going to dive back into the new Bears quarterback next on Locked On Bears. Even with Justin Fields and a new look offensive line, the odds makers at betonline.ag are still projecting the Bears to move backwards next season in the win column. The over-under set at seven and a half wins. And the way that stands right now, that is tied for, I believe, the eighth worst record, tied with a number of other teams, but that's still projecting the Bears perhaps with a top 10 pick next season that would be traded away to the New York Giants. Also not projecting the Bears to make the playoffs in those prop bets of will the Bears make the playoffs? Odds are no or minus 200, the favorite in those bets. So the timing is great to lay some money down on these Bears and bet on a turnaround in 2021. Sign up today for a free account and enter our promo code Locked on to receive your free 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece, they're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. So if you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. If you're not already in love with Justin Fields as the Chicago Bears quarterback, I think we're going to get you there. Over the next two days on the podcast, we'll have parts one and two of our interview with the host of Locked On Buckeyes here on the Locked On Podcast Network, Jay Stevens. He is an expert on all things Ohio State, and he is going to take us through the college career of Justin Fields and help project him to the pros. So like I said, today today's episode, a little bit more about what we saw on the field from Fields the last two seasons, kind of the ups and downs, a little bit more of the, not, not just the scouting report, but then also almost like if you're playing along at home, here's how you can here's how you can go back and see the best and worst of Fields. And you can kind of find these moments that Jay is talking about and get a better sense of this Bears quarterback if you really want to dig deep. Otherwise, you can sit back and listen as he and I go through it and really kind of get a sense of what Justin Fields does well and what he still has to work on. Because then on tomorrow's podcast, we'll turn it a little bit more future-facing and look at, okay, how does this project to the NFL? How do the Bears need to handle Justin Fields? What should we expect out of him early on? What can we expect from him as a, as a rookie? How should this sort of progression and learning curve go early in his NFL career? So joining us now on the Locked On Bears podcast is Jay Stevens. 
He is the host of Locked On Buckeyes here on the Locked On Podcast Network, as well as one of the hosts of Locked On Big Ten. It's the Monday edition of Locked On Big Ten. Jay, how was the draft for you? I imagine you get a little bit spoiled by the number of Ohio State Buckeyes going every year. <laughs> spoiled is a good way to put it. Um, I will first want to say thanks for allowing me to be on here, having me on the podcast. But yeah, you could say spoiled. Um, you could say I sit back and enjoy it. You could say that I get a little anxious when players don't go when I think they should go or when I projected them to go. But yeah, it was fun. Draft week, it was fun from day one till day three, just getting the draft to be what it normally is with people there. Almost very enjoyable watching this year's NFL draft. Where did you expect Justin Fields? And were you getting nervous when he gets past certainly, well, first three, but then, you know, seven, eight, nine? Is this, were you expecting this kind of a slide or, or how far did you think he might go? So I expected Justin Fields to be a top 10 pick. I made that clear on Locked on Buckeyes leading up into the draft. I had him as my second, and I'm not like a scout where I could grade quarterbacks, but if I were to grade the top ones, I had Trevor Lawrence one, Fields two, and then um, uh, Trey Lance three in that order. I had known a lot of scouts. Sometimes they, they, they ended up flipping the order, putting Lance at two and Fields at three, but it was very, very close between Fields and Lance as far as grading them out. I thought he'd be a top 10 pick because I think people are overthinking the Justin Fields experience and really using two games and it really is different moments in those games, not those games in their entirety saying, Oh, Fields had two bad games this past year. He's not a good quarterback or he's really, we're not sure what he's going to be. I think Fields was a quarterback that, um, played well this past season, not played his best football, but played very, very well. And I didn't think top 10 pick. I think it should have been a top two or three pick, honestly. But I was projecting top 10 based off of what I had heard leading up to the start of the draft. For Bears fans that might not have watched any Ohio State football this season, what two games? And, and also beyond that, like you, you mentioned like overthinking Justin Fields. Is, is there more to it in your eyes than those two games as to why he started to fall? But also specifically, uh, what, what about those two games or, or those two parts of those two performances that stood out in why you think that might have been a, a factor? So I'll start with the Indiana game first. The games would be Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, I know a lot of people, you could spend a lot of time dissecting what went wrong in the national championship game. I don't do that. I don't spend my time doing that because Alabama was the better team. Um, Justin Fields was hindered by Trey Sermon getting hurt. So he was already at a disadvantage, plus basically having no practice. I think Ohio State only practiced twice in between the Sugar Bowl win over Clemson and then the matchup against um, Alabama and the national championship, which now makes it more makes more sense as to why the Big Ten Conference wanted to push back the national championship one week to the following Monday. And Ohio State said no. But nobody really knew what was going on internally inside the program. But the Indiana game, I think, feels that I've heard Joel Klett and other people that are inside in the know as far as nationally that are broadcast that are covering the games um, as far as broadcasting knows. They said Fields was forcing things. They said Fields was a quarterback that was trying to win the Heisman in certain moments, and he felt like he had to make everything, do everything, make all the big plays at that time. And the Indiana game, you saw. Ohio State was up big, I think 35-7 at one point. Then the next thing you know, Indiana starts making a good comeback. Now, Indiana does have one of the better pass defenses in the Big Ten, one of the best, better pass defenses in the country. So you expect them to play well. But Fields did start to panic, start to force things, and really just started to be a guy that was playing outside of himself. 
their Northwestern game. They had a top five, uh, a top five pass defense in the country. So Gregory Newsome, uh, the second, I forget what round he got drafted in, but he was first round, 26 overall. I had the paper right next to me. So you have a top defense. You have a top, I, I, one of the best corners in the country. And you have a guy in fields that learned from early on in the, in the Indiana game about forcing things and not playing in himself. But then in that game against Northwestern, he was kind of managing the game in a different way. And Northwestern played really, really good defense. So it was more fields learning and adjusting and just playing, just doing what the game gave him and through his way instead of forcing things. And some people see the pedestrian numbers, the low scoring game. They say Phil's didn't have a good game. But if you go back and look at the game itself, Phil's play was not as bad as what people may say in the national media um, leading up to the draft. Yeah, it's pretty clear at this point that the Bears don't care about any of those pre-draft narratives that were coming out about Fields, and they fell in love with the guy that we saw on tape. And we'll go through some of that tape and how Justin Fields operated this Ohio State offense next on Locked On Bears. Now it's all about surrounding Justin Fields with the right parts. And I know when I need the right parts for my vehicle, I always turn to rockauto.com. They're a family business that have been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. They got anything you could possibly need for your vehicle. Fuel pump assemblies and engine control modules or the easy stuff like brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, you name it. They have it on rockauto.com and they also have it for the best prices available because a lot of the chain stores that sell parts, you know, they'll have different price tiers if you're a professional mechanic versus a do-it-yourselfer like us. But rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. So don't spend up to twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. We are once again locked on Justin Fields today with Locked On Buckeyes host Jay Stevens helping us out breaking down all things Ohio State. And Jay, how would you describe the Ohio State offense in terms of what Justin Fields is asked to do, you know, and how much is on his shoulders as opposed to, you know, receivers that are schemed open and, and you know, like how, how difficult is what he is asked to do compared to, you know, some, you know, the thing of like the big 12 and the air raid offenses that sometimes people talk about questioning how well that projects the NFL. I don't think we've heard those similar concerns about Ohio state, but what does this offense look like? It's an offense that is very, it's dependent upon the quarterback understanding a lot as far as mentally being able to process pre-snap, seeing things, post-snap, verifying what you see, if it's the same thing, or just really verifying what you see post-snap and then making the right decision. Ohio State's offense this year was hindered for a couple reasons. There's a plethora of them. I could go on for days, but it was hindered early on um, from the different offseason, getting ripped up for the season, then not having a season at all, and then it reinstating the season but then you're having to get your body back in football shape get the, and just get your get the wear and tear of a football season back on your body 
after really halting and slowing down your practices and your day-to-day operation. Practice didn't cease when the season got canceled. It's just that your practices are a whole lot different than what they what you would say. Um, Ohio State's offense was hindered um, from that. And also, the O-line was different and the chemistry was not there, which also goes back to not having your normal offense, um, not having your normal offseason program. Running backs were not the same. So Fields as a quarterback, he was asked early on to do a lot because the O-line was not up to par as, as far as chemistry. The running backs were not up to par as far as chemistry. So Fields, when you have Olave and Wilson and Jameson and um Jameson Williams and then Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba, some f- freshmen, the, the latter two are freshmen, you had a lot of talent. So your number one receiver on whatever play can get open. But at the same time, Phil was asked to be a bigger leader early on than he was at the latter part of the season. He was always asked to be a leader, but the offense was one. Um, he was asked to do a lot, but it was also one that was aided and helped by the receivers they throwing the ball to. The latter part of the year was aided once the running game got going. And you saw once the running game got going, the rest is history. The Ohio State offense really flourished under that. He had to work through kinks and some Growing pains early in the season. And once he got over those, really with newcomers there, the offense was clicking on all cylinders. And Fields being asked to do a lot, he could be asked to do the same thing, but also he could kind of breathe, uh, take a sigh of relief because the running game was flowing and he wasn't having to create things on by himself um, because the guys behind him were able to get loose um, once they crossed the line of scrimmage. I can always tell when somebody, you know, on Twitter or just a, a sports fan hasn't watched any Ohio State offense when they say, oh, geez, the Bears drafted a run-first quarterback, uh, you know, and they, they, sh- <laughs> they should have got a pocket passer. How, how would you describe, though, how Ohio State used his mobility? I mean, clearly this was a, a pocket-passing quarterback, but was it was it the kind of thing where, you know, they, they used his mobility as part of the scheme or was it all bonus in terms of like, okay, when things break down, then it's up to him or, you know, did they get him rolling out a lot? Did they get him a lot? Uh, like when he'd scramble, was that kind of all his decision or was that sometimes built in? And then how much did he carry the ball in terms of, you know, direct quarterback runs and, and then, of course, run pass options where he might have kept it? 2019, you would you would have seen a lot more Justin Fields runs than you saw in 2020. 2019, there were um, more designed runs, I believe, more read option-esque than you saw in 2020. 2019, I think Fields was given more, free, more freedom to run the ball. I don't know if it was Fields in 2020 or Ryan Day in 2020 that were saying, don't run the ball as much as you did previously. We need you to stay in the pocket or stay behind the line of scrimmage and pass the ball around the yard to allow you to be the leader and to allow the the office to be more dictated by the passing game, more pass game heavy than run game heavy. So Justin Fields is more is a very good passer. A lot of the um, plays in the passing game, there were, so, there were some, there were designed rollouts, um, uh, bootlegs, things of that nature, because you want to utilize Justin Fields, a guy that's mobile in every facet that you can. So 2020, if you look at the tape and someone says he's a running quarterback, okay, watch the tape. I say it to everybody because Fields was not really that. Honestly, I was a person that was calling for Justin Fields to run the ball more in 2020, either via design to run. Well, mainly for me, it was more play breaking down or nobody's open. Why hold the ball for two and a half, three, three and a half seconds when you have the mobility and the 
capability to break one loose with your legs. We didn't really see that till later in, in the year. And I don't know why that was. I don't know why he was holding onto the ball as much as he was because feels if he wanted to, he could have, he could have had one rushing touchdown every single game because he's that good as a runner. I do think this year he wanted to show off his arm more instead of show off his legs to try to win the Heisman. There's so much to like about Justin Fields, and it's so easy to get caught up in, in everything so good about what he did. But do you think that that holding onto the ball is the most frustrating thing from him as a quarterback, or was there anything else that stood out to you as like, you know, you wanted him to do either something a little bit more or just a little bit different? There are three, and I just touched on one of them, the not running the ball as much. But now when I say that it's more passing plays, it is a guy that's dropping back, play, play nobody's open. Play's kind of broken down as far as um, he needs to scramble to get away from a rush or nobody's open. So he, I just thought he should have ran the ball to not play hero ball. Um, but then there was the, the effect, effect that with him holding on to the ball, now this is, a, this is something that people say Fields can't do. And people will say, oh, he scored the highest on, an, on some test that of anybody since 2012 when the test was instituted. I forget the, the test that was administered to him, but it's a test to just basically see how you process things and how your brain works. And among the people that took the test, he was the highest score of anyone. Justin Fields does at times have problems processing plays and processing defenses. People saying that Fields can't read zone defenses, and then there are people that say, no, that's false. There were times that I think Justin Fields did get confused against the better defenses. I talked about a couple of those teams earlier, Northwestern and Indiana. Indiana, a team that was really emerging and shocked a lot of people this past year, Northwestern was in the Big Ten Championship game as the winners of the Big Ten West Division. So they weren't really, they weren't like teams that were bad that he was struggling against. Justin Fields, I think, does at times, I think he understands in his head what to do. Sometimes I think he held the ball because in, in application of knowing what to do in your head, there was a disconnect there. So there was a time that he did hold the ball, was it? Hero ball? Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes I think the processing, now this isn't a major, major problem where it's every single play, but I do think there are times that the defense finds ways to confuse fields and he is hindered by doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, he's not a perfect quarterback prospect and he is going to require some development as he projects on to the NFL level in Chicago. And we'll have plenty of time to get into that projection and what exactly Justin Fields needs on tomorrow's episode of Lockdown Bears. So I want to thank Jay Stevens for joining us today and certainly encourage you to come back tomorrow for part two of our conversation, looking ahead at what it's going to look like in Chicago, whether Justin Fields should sit on the bench for the whole season or half the season or whether full speed ahead, put him on the field week one, how the Bears should sort of handle that and what we can expect from him transitioning from Ohio State into the Bears offense. So I hope you'll subscribe to Locked on Bears to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Later on this week, we will be joined by Candice Cooper, who is the host of Locked on Tar Heels, and she's actually taking over as the host of Locked on ACC. But we're going to start with six-round wide receiver Daz Newsom from North Carolina and get a sense of what his role was like in the UNC offense and how that will project 
to the Bears and also some of his prowess on special teams as well. He's going to start doing a few deep dives on a few of these late-round prospects. I don't know that we're going to be able to devote you know full podcasts to all of them, but we'll try and touch on each one and give you a sense of where they might fit in, even beyond kind of the general overview we did on yesterday's show. So be sure to tune back in for that. Working on getting it scheduled with our friends from Locked On Missouri and Locked On BYU as well for Larry Borm in the fifth round and Kyrus Tonga, the tackle in the seventh round, who really seems like a an encouraging sleeper. I'm eager to learn, learn a little bit more about him. And then either this week or sometime next week, we'll start getting into some of the other NFC North drafts. Certainly, we need to get some... Green Bay perspective on what the heck's going on with Aaron Rodgers and all that. And now the news coming out that the Vikings really wanted Justin Fields. We will certainly get some Minnesota perspective as well. And we'll circle around to the Detroit Lions, although they very clearly bring up the rear in the NFC North. So just because the draft is over does not mean we have any shortage of Bears content coming for you on the podcast. I hope you'll stick around with us throughout the rest of the offseason. Before you know it, the regular season or the preseason and the training camp and the OTAs will be here. And then we'll definitely be ready to bear down.